with a speeding ticket in his hand, a 20-year-old person knocks on his 70-year-old neighbor's door and asks him, how do I make a better decisions? Well, the neighbor has a very a quick answer. The Holy Spirit helps us. With that answer, he also has an instruction for the young person. For the next seven days in your, in your quiet time, read Romans the 8th chapter and the 16th verse. On the 8th day, return to my door and we will discuss how the Holy Spirit helps us in our decision making. So the one sentence I would, would give young people today is if you have a foundation in the church, to stay with the church and, and let your knowledge of what God's word has for you um, grow within you as, as you grow through life. If my 23-year-old self were to be speaking to me, he would say, I'm very busy. I work more than 60 hours a week. I have only a meager amount of time for my family. I certainly don't have time to attend church, and I don't have the time to be patient. To have a sense of humor is a luxury that I cannot afford. Tithing is not an option because my net income is less than $200 a month. I would tell myself today, you have a job. Be thankful. You're not working on Sunday. Attend church. Make the time with your family quality time. You're too harsh and too tough. Be patient, forgiving, and merciful as God is to you. Enjoy the humor that life presents. It is everywhere. You cannot afford not to tithe. And I would add, be faithful and pray every day. God will hear you. God will lead you. And he will answer your prayers. Oh, my goodness. Um, I would tell my 20-year-old self to get my eyes on Jesus and not on myself. I think that's what happened. I was raised by wonderful Christian parents, a wonderful Christian grandmother, and I accepted Christ as a child. But when I got off to college in my 20s, it was like, I want to be popular. I want to be with the in crowd. Um, and I thought all the people that went to church were dorky, <laughs> just to be honest. And that's where I think I lost track. I got in when we first got married and moved here. Um, I was still in my 20s, and I think we were running with the wrong crowd um, who were making fun of the scriptures. And even though I was a member of this church and I came, it was like I had a religion, but I didn't really have a relationship. So after my um, daughter, our first child, was born uh, handicapped, um, I began to really search and say, God, I want to know you. And I realized then I didn't have that relationship with him. It was just playing church. And everything changed after I asked Jesus into my life. And so I would say to young people, be careful who your friends are, who you run with, because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And if you have this relationship, you've got it. And no matter what age you are, or no matter what happens, um, you got it made.
Aren't those stories great? Hey man, hadn't it been a great morning here at the Heights? Oh, come on, really? You just... What, you give it a solid C minus or what? <laughs> Man, it's been, a, it's been a wonderful morning of worship with all of our generations up here. And we're, we're in the midst uh, of what we've called our, our senior adult weekend. That's why you just saw these stories. We're kind of celebrating their lives. We had a, a breakfast yesterday and then the service today. And really, this is kind of a precursor. What we were thinking of in putting this day here is this winter in, in February, uh, our church church is going to be celebrating a hundred year anniversary uh, of the heights. And we thought as we got to that place of celebrating the, the church, that before that we'd have a time where we celebrate some individual lives that have been a part of that church for so long. Me, so many lives in this, in this place have invested in, in the life of the heights for 20, 30, 40 years. We have, we have a number of people that have actually given over 50 years to loving God here, to serving, to worshiping, to, to giving, just everything that makes up being the height. So we've tried to celebrate and enjoy those lives. And a part of that today was going to be, as I announced last week, we, we were going to have, and that you can already tell this is going somewhere different, right? That was past tense. We were going to have a guest speaker today. Tom Elif, uh was going to be here with us. Tom's a A great servant of the Lord has served in so many places throughout the church, throughout Southern Baptist life. And uh, one of the reasons we were bringing him, he is a man in his 70s that is going strong for the Lord. He's a a widower. He's been through that experience. He's remarried and and been through that. Well, his his wife had got really, really sick. Uh, this week, so much so that he didn't think it would be good to to leave her. And so uh, he called Wednesday and kind of gave a warning shot that this might be the case. And and then Thursday confirmed it. So uh, he called with enough time. I was I was ready to go and had ideas about this anyway. But but Mike Osborne, our, our executive pastor, when we were talking about this, said, "Hey, would it would it be possible that I do that? I, I really feel like the Lord has has laid something on my heart." And uh, I tell you, I've, I've worked in ministry now with Mike for uh, 17 years. I love him like you love him. I trust him like you trust him. And you know, he's never said that to me. Now you know, Mike preaches up here a good bit in my stead, but never because he asked. And, and by the way, Mike, don't get used to that, okay? <laughs> but, but never because he asked. And, and you know, when, when he asked, I, I don't know about you, I just, I heard his ask. I just trust Mike. I love Mike that much that I said, absolutely. I didn't even have to, to think about it. So, uh, he has a word for us today. So, Mike, you come on up here now and, uh, share that with all the generations that we're celebrating today. Well, good morning. Welcome, all you dorky people. <clears throat> That's all right. I don't mind being dorky for the Lord, do you? As Randy said, uh, this past week, you know, we were excited, waiting for Tom Elif to come. I was at the state convention earlier in the week, and part of that, not only do we do business, but we hear great sermons and marvelous music and uh we have a lot of videos about different mission work that's going on around the world. And in one of those mission clips, as I sat there uh, that day, there's something that was said, and I'll share more of that later in the sermon, but 
when I heard that, it just sparked something in my heart. And it had to do with the idea of generations. And so really what I'm talking about today is from generation to generation. You know, when we use that phrase generation and talk about it, there are usually two different ways that we go with that. One is family generations, and that's, that's the simpler of the definitions. You know, that's like me. Okay, I've got, I had a grandfather and a father, and I have a son and a grandson, so that's five generations of our family. But another way that generations is talked about a lot, and you've heard this because you've heard terms like uh, baby boomers and millennials and Gen X and all that, those generations kind of started through studies that were done beginning back in the 1800s. And they realized that there were certain groups of people that could be grouped together based on the dates in which they lived and the circumstances and the situations that went on and the things they were living through. And each one of them was, was different. And so they began to distinguish these. And they're not you know, quite as clear-cut as you know, grandfather, father, son. Um, but they're, they're based on, again, partly what's going on in that time and what they experience and then what they bring to the table. So since the year 1900, since the beginning of the 20th century, there have been eight generations identified by sociologists. The oldest of those eight generations is the interbellum generation. And that's actually the shortest generation because it falls into a period when they're no longer influenced, means between the wars. And so they're not being influenced by the Civil War and they haven't, didn't get a great deal of influence in their lives from the First World War. They fall in between. And so if you are a part of that generation, that means that currently, as of today, you are 110 years or older. So how many do we have in here today from the interbellum generation? You know, I asked that all three, I was just hoping, maybe in one of them. I'm 112, I'm here. But we didn't get it. Okay, the next generation was the greatest generation. And that's those who are currently aged 95 to 109. Do we have any of the greatest generation? Actually, look, because we have people in our church that fall into that category. Most of them right now, unfortunately, are the health has deteriorated to where they're not able to, to get out quite as much. But even just a few months ago, we had several that still showed up fairly regularly on Sunday morning for worship. Some of you will remember Miss Kitty, who was over 100 and showing up every week for worship. All right, the silent generation. Now, here we go. The silent generation, you're currently age 74 to 94. Now, we're in church, we're family be honest and don't be ashamed. How many do we have that fall into the silent generation? Oh, we have a few scattered around in here. Yeah, thank you. Man, watch this. Watch the difference here. You've seen these groups kind of. Baby boomers. How many baby boomers? 55 to 73. Raise your hand if you're a baby boomer. Yeah, we're proud to be baby boomers. We, we raise our hands in a heartbeat. All right, Gen X, which is sometimes called the baby bus generation because the boomers had a lot of babies, the bus decided not to. But the baby bus generation, 40 to 54. All right, I looked at the pastor because I knew he fell into that category. And we've got a few of those scattered around. All right, so Gen Y, that's the millennials. How many millennials, Gen Y, do we have? That's 25 to 39. 
All right, y'all there. I was telling the other group earlier, I said, you know, you always think about the millennials being the really young ones. And as I was doing this, it dawned on me there are two generations that have slipped in underneath the millennials. And that just made me feel really, really old. (laughs) But under the millennials, we have Gen X, and they're 7 to 24 years of age. Who do we have in Gen X? Yeah, we've got a few here. And then we have now Gen Alpha, which is six years of age or younger. Anybody in here? Six or under. We have had in the other two services some that stayed in with us. Yep, that's one I see him back there or her back there. I can't tell in the darkness which it is, but we've got one back there. So eight generations that have been born since 1900. And in the United States today, all eight of them have representatives. In other words, there are people living who fall into all eight of these generations. In fact, the oldest person documented in the, living in the United States as of Friday, I didn't check yesterday, as of Friday, was Alilia Murphy, a lady from Harlem, New York. She was 114 years old in July. And so, unless something happened over the weekend, congratulations to Ms. Murphy. Now, in our church, we don't have anybody that falls into that oldest age group, but we do have people that fall into seven of the eight generations, which I think is pretty impressive. But here's something that I was really impressed with as I was talking this way and checking the ages in our choir, multi-gen choir. Six of those generations were represented here on the Colonial Heights campus, standing up here on stage singing this morning. What do you think? Six generations. I think, yes, I think that deserves applause. Now, I'd admit Lothian, they haven't quite gotten that range yet, but they're working towards it. They're working to get there. They've got their multi-gen choir going. So when you think about generations, one of the things we need to understand is that generations need to listen to one another. And more than that, generations need to learn from one another. And so, listen, those who are in the younger generation, yes, you need to listen to the older generation. That's kind of why we did that sermon bumper the way we did. What would you today tell your 20-year-old self? That one who was coming along when you thought you knew everything, now that you know a whole lot, what would you share and tell? We need to listen to that older generation. But listen, those of us, and I'm one of this group, those of us who are in the older generations, the boomers and on up particularly, we need to listen to the younger generation because understand this, they have so much to teach us and it's not just about technology. It's not about how to use our cell phone. There's so many things they have to give to us for us to understand and gain from it. And so we need to share because each generation is unique. Each generation has a unique perspective. Each generation has unique challenges, and each generation has unique contributions to give. And so we need to listen to one another as generations. Now, speaking of generations, I want to show you some generations of one particular family. And as y'all probably guessed, this is my family. Over here on the left, in the hat, that's my granddaddy. Beside him, my dad, of course, me. And then the last picture, this is my son and grandson. And I have to tell you, this was taken at Halloween. And so my grandson, who was 13 at the time, was going to a Halloween party dressed as his dad. 
So he'd gotten one of those skull cap, you know, bald, bald caps, and uh, went as his dad. It's only going to be a few years he won't need that skull cap to do the same thing. <laughs> but that's, my granddad was born in 1891. He's actually part of what's called the lost generation. My dad was born in 1917. I was born in 1952. My son was born in 1979. And my grandson was born in 2004. Five generations, whether you figure them up you know, by family or whether you say sociologically, we're still five different generations. And as you can see, as you look at those pictures, you've probably picked up on the fact that the Osborne gene runs deep and strong. I mean, you look at it, you look at the ears, same ears, same eyes, same noses, same smile or lack thereof, <laughs> same hair or lack thereof. <laughs> yeah, we, my family has passed down a lot of things physically through the generations. But that which is most significant that they have passed down through the generations is not something physical. It's something far more significant, far more important. And it's described in Psalm 145. So I want you to turn to Psalm 145. This is a psalm of David. He says, I will extol you, my king, my God, O king, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. You see, the thing that was passed down from generation to generation in my family that was far more significant than lack of hair or certain style of ears was that we have tried to pass down the works of the Lord. John Piper says this about our responsibility as believers, as Christians. He said, It is the biblical duty of every generation of Christians to see to it that the next generation hears about the mighty acts of God. But not only does Piper say it, we just read it. God's Word says it to us. That is our responsibility. That is our obligation. That is our calling as believers. And so my, my granddad that you saw up there, he, he never really knew his dad. His dad was struck by lightning when my granddad was very, very small. But as he grew up and as he began to lead his family, he took on the mantle of, of sharing, praising the works of God to his son, my dad. And my dad shared that with me, and I tried to share that with Shay, my son. Shay has been sharing it with Micah, his son. And so we have shared it down in our family. 
letting each generation know of the mighty works of God. But it's not just something that we do within our family. But understand, it is. this is God's pattern. This is what God desires of the family, that the parents would share the truth of God with their children. Particularly, fathers, we need to hear that. It is our responsibility to share and to praise the works of God with our children and with our grandchildren and with whatever generation we get to see in our families. But it's not just within the family. It says, one generation shall praise the works of God to another generation. It's about more than just our family. It is about that next generation. It's about your children's friends. It's about your grandchildren's friends. I I remember watching my dad who did so many things from Sunday school teaching to coaching to, uh, you know, just being around kids and and training them. And he had a passion for leading them and, and teaching them in things. And I watched him do that. I watched him praise the works of the Lord. And then I tried to do it as my son came along with his friends. And I didn't do it anywhere near as good as well as my dad did. But I tried. And I see my son now as a teacher and a coach and a pastor doing that with a generation, not just with his children. So it is our responsibility as believers, as Christians, to declare his mighty acts. Charles Stanley says this. He says, you have a story to tell. If you've been saved by the grace of God, you have a testimony of how he has kept you safe through all kinds of difficulties. And you have an obligation to share that. You have an obligation. You have a responsibility to do that. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. And that's not the only place we see that. Turn with me. Back a few psalms to Psalm 78. Psalm 78, beginning in verse 5, says, For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them the children who would be born, that they might arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Generation to generation to generation. One of our core values here at the Heights is next generation matters now, and we take that very seriously But I think we need to be careful that we don't shortchange that value statement. Because when we think about the next generation and when we think about Gen X, what do we normally think about? The children. And that's right. We need to be doing it. This is important that we reach out to the children. It's important that we understand they are important now. But let's take those of us who are baby boomers. What's the next generation from us? Who came right after us? The Busters. Yeah, Gen X. And who came after them? Gen Y. It's easy at this point. X, Y. And who came after Y? Z. There you go. Yeah, our responsibility is to the children, but it's not just to the children. 
The next generation is all of those who have come after us. And so as a baby, as a baby boomer, I have a responsibility to the, the Gen X, but not just to the Gen X. It doesn't stop there. I also have a responsibility to the Y and to the Z and to the Alpha and to whatever the next name will be. We have a responsibility in all generations matter. Now there's a reason that God puts so much emphasis on this. There's a reason that it is so important that we pass along the things of God. My mom, her family came over from Lithuania and and my mom and her generation were the first ones born on American soil. In fact, her mom was born on the way over on the ship. I never met my mom's parents, my grandparents on her side. One of them died like a month before I was born, and one died a month or two after I was born. So I never got to meet them, know them. In fact, I never got to know anybody in that generation. In other words, I didn't get to know my mom's aunts and uncles and her cousins. I didn't know them. All I know is her and her siblings. So all the generations before that, the generations before my mom, just I got one generation going back, and then it's all lost. I don't have any stories. I don't have any pictures. I don't have any knowledge of that generation and beyond. It's lost to me. And that can happen in church. That can happen in the body of believers, in the community of faith. Turn with me to Judges chapter 2. In verse 10, and this is taking place right after Joshua and his generation has died. Judges chapter 2 verse 10 says, when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, in other words, when they were all dead, another generation arose after them that did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. A whole generation arose that did not know the Lord, nor his works. And you may think, well, you know, that was way back then. That was back in biblical times. They didn't have good communication. They didn't have cable TV. They didn't have all the things that we have now. You know, that couldn't happen today. And that takes me to a video comment that sparked this whole sermon. A man by the name of Gunnar Gunnarsson, and yes, that's a real name, a real person. He's a pastor in Iceland. He is the only Icelandic Baptist pastor, the only indigenous Baptist pastor in the country of Iceland. And there was a video at the state convention where he was sharing And understand this, that Iceland was recently recognized as the most godless country in Europe. And sometimes they have a hard time figuring out how that works because actually by statistics it's called a Christian nation. But it's called a Christian nation because they have a state church. 
And as is often the case when you have a state church and a baby's born, what happens? They become a member of the state church. State church in Iceland is actually the Lutheran church. And so on paper, you've got all of these Lutherans. It's a Christian nation. But none of them go to church. In fact, in Iceland, it is recognized now as a, as a country where less than 30% of the babies that are born are born to married couples. They don't see where marriage matters at all. Again, part of that concept of being a godless country. Among those who are 40 years of age and younger, less than 2% ever set foot in a church. Now, I'm not talking about our regular attenders of a church. These are the folks who don't show up at Easter and Christmas. They don't show up at all. 98% of them don't show up in church. That's why it's called the most godless country in Europe. And Gunnar was asked the question, how did this happen? Because it once was a Christian nation. And here was his answer. One generation stopped and did not share God with the next generation. One generation did not share God with the next. Folks, we are always one generation away from the gospel being lost. And so that's the reason we need to praise the works of God to another generation. But understand the reality of it. It's not enough that we talk about God. It's not enough even that we give instruction in the Bible to people so that they learn the information about God. It's got to go much deeper than that. See, understand this, what we want, what we need, what we have to have from the next generation is not just heads full of right facts about the things of God. We do want that. We want their heads filled with the truth, filled with the right facts. But it's more than that. We want heads full of the right facts. And we want hearts that burn with a fire and with a passion and with a love of the God of those facts. And that's our responsibility. That's what we've got to do. That's the reality of what needs to take place. If you look again there at verse 4 in, in Psalm 145, in the translation I read to you, it says, One generation shall praise the works of God to another. In some of your translations, it will say commend. In others, it will say declare. I like this one. That's why I picked it. This is a New King James, but there's some other translations that use this idea of praise as well. Because I think that's clearer to the meaning of what the psalmist David was putting there. Because the word he uses in the Hebrew is literally a word that means to loudly share it, to shout the wondrous works of God. It's talking about a lively, triumphant, enthusiastic presentation of the truth of God. It's done with a shout of joy and with a cry of victory. That's what he says. He says, I extol you in verse 1. In other words, that means to praise enthusiastically. Somebody uh, just after the last service was sharing me out of her Passion Bible, and it says, to express. 
explode. That's what it wants. Now listen carefully. Hear me. Those who do not extol, who do not explode with it, who do not praise enthusiastically God in their teaching and sharing of the gospel will not bring about praise and exaltation for God in the ones who hear it. In other words, we can say the words, but if we don't put forth the passion, then we've fallen short of what we're doing. One generation shall praise the works of God to another and declare His mighty acts. Listen through history to what some theologians have said about that verse, their thoughts on it as they studied it. Here's one. Each generation catches the strains from the last. In other words, he hears the coming from the past. He catches those strains. He echoes it. And he passes it along to the next. One generation declares what it has seen and passes on the praise to the generation which has not seen as yet the wondrous celebration. Here's another. The church and its worshipers are collecting praises of successive generations for the final hallelujah celebration. We're collecting them as they come. And then one more. And this, this theologian picked up on the fact that in, in, chap, in uh, verse 4, David changes the verbs a bit. He starts off in the beginning with a singular verb and then switches to a plural verb. And so it says, One generation shall praise, singular, your works to another, and then shall declare, and that's when it switches to plural, your mighty acts. So what he's saying is we're coming together. We're merging together in this. Here is melody first, he says, the antiphony of the choirs, responding to one another. Then harmony. All generations will burst into chorus together. Now I want to do something that I've done at both of the other services. Tried it one way in the first service. Had a little more confidence in the second service and tried it a different way. No offense to you, I think I'm going to go back to the first way. Okay, first, raise your hand. If you're 55 or older, so we're lumping baby boomers, silent generation, the 112-year-old person who wouldn't raise a hand or couldn't raise a hand. Okay. What I want you to do when I point this way, I want you to shout, Jesus is Lord. And then those of you that are 54 and under, raise your hand. When I point this way, I want you to shout, Jesus is Lord. Okay? Not too tough, right? Everybody got it? All right, so we're 55 and older. Let's go. Jesus is Lord. Oh, man, that's awesome. They, they just blew the others out of the water, Andy. All right, this way. Jesus is Lord. 55. Jesus is Lord. Under 55. All together. Jesus is Lord. Again. Jesus is Lord. Again. Jesus is Lord. Again. Jesus is Lord. Every time I point at you, I want you all to say it in unison. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is 
Folks, this is a church. This is what God intended for it to be. This is what we're called to be. Don't stop. I'm still pointing. You keep shouting. If I got to shout, you got to shout. All right, let's, let's switch it. Go back to our 55 and older. That's the chorus. It's coming. There you go. Thank you. Frank's paying attention. All right, under 55. That's the chorus that's coming in and joining together. All together. Church. That is the gathering of the celebration that is to come. The great hallelujah chorus. That is the church as God intended for it to be. That's the generations coming together, sharing together, working together, learning from one another together. Again, that's the church. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. That we can come together as your church gathered in this place, Lord. And we're from multiple generations and multiple experiences, Lord. But we come together today as one. Praising the work of God to the generations that are to come, Lord. To those who have not yet seen the works that we celebrate. Father, may we be faithful. May we learn from one another. May we listen to one another. May we embrace one another. May we love one another. And we, may we declare to the world that Jesus is Lord. It's in his name we pray. Amen.